This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 222, entitled The Final Misunderstanding in John's Gospel. Yes, we have been working through the Gospel of John to study all of the occurrences of the theme of misunderstanding, and we have come to the final occurrence. It's actually the 19th occurrence within the Gospel of John. I do think there are 19. I might be mistaken, but this is the final one that we will be looking at within this particular series, and we'll be moving on to studying other important things starting next week. Now, as a reminder, the theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John has three very important components. First, Jesus makes an ambiguous statement. Second, the conversation partner misunderstands it, either by interpreting it literally or by asking an inappropriate question. And third, either Jesus or the narrator explains the statement, although sometimes the explanation is missing. So in this week's episode, we're going to explore the misunderstanding that arises when Jesus talks cryptically about his death and resurrection. We will also look at the ways in which Jesus' disciples fail to comprehend what Jesus is saying, although us modern readers who are initiated into the Christian faith are able to follow Jesus' train of thought. We will also look at the question of why Jesus offers the illustration of a birthing mother to explain the grief and joy of his death. And lastly, we will offer some concluding thoughts based on our overall findings of these 19 episode long studies of the theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John. So who misunderstands Jesus in this final occurrence of this important literary theme in the fourth gospel? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the death and resurrection misunderstood. So we'll be looking in John chapter 16, and we'll be starting in verse 16. Jesus is speaking, and he says, A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. So they were saying, What is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, you will will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. 
Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. That's John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. So just a couple of points before we look a little bit closer at the particular misunderstanding in this particular passage. Jesus offers his statement. The disciples are deliberating amongst one another about what Jesus is saying. And Jesus, the text says, knew that they wished to question him. Some people will point to this particular passage and they will say, well, look, Jesus knew what they were thinking. He must be omniscient. He must be all-knowing. I don't quite think that's the best reading of this particular passage, nor of the Jesus that is presented in the Gospel of John. We started our passage looking at chapter 16, verse 16. But if you look in the previous passage, chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus admits that all things that the Father has are mine, indicating that the Father has authorized Jesus and shared with Jesus this revelatory knowledge. This is more clearly stated earlier in the Gospel of John, like in chapter 3, verse 35, where Jesus says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John 3, 35. We can see a similar statement in John 5.20, where Jesus says, The Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. John 5.20. So throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is depicted as this person who has been the rightful recipient of everything that God possesses. The Father shares all things with the Son, and in doing so, the Son becomes the bearer and the recipient of God's privileges, prerogatives, and in this case, God's knowledge. So Jesus doesn't know what the disciples are thinking because he is innately omniscient. Instead, he knows these things because the Father has enlightened Jesus. The Father has revealed these things to Jesus. The Father has shared this particular knowledge with the human son. Now also in this passage, we have this little side parable or illustration, depending on what you want to call it, about a birthing mother. And it seems a little bit out of place when we're talking about the death of Jesus. Why would we talk about the birth of a child and a mother giving birth when Jesus is trying to illustrate his own death? I think the answer lies in the fact that in the ancient world, mothers who are giving birth were in mortal danger. There are many mothers that actually died during the process of giving birth. They didn't have the benefits of modern medicine and anesthesia and everything that the medical field has in the 21st century. And it was not uncommon for mothers to have complications and to die giving birth, even though this issue was not 
something that uh, affected the population too much. Although it was true that Jewish mothers had to bear at least three children in order to keep the population constant. So the joy and the relief given to the mother after the understandable scare of death are actual images evoked from such an illustration. She is in labor, she is in pain, she is scared of death, but that fear goes away after the child is born and there is nothing but joy. And of course, Jesus is talking about his own death, but after that death, there is joy and rejoicing. So let's move and look at the particular theme of misunderstanding in this passage. That's our second point. Point number two, a closer look at the theme of misunderstanding involving the phrase, a little while. So as you will surely remember, the first part of the theme of misunderstanding is that Jesus makes an ambiguous statement. This is very easy to pinpoint. We can see it in John 16, 16, where Jesus says, a little while and you will no longer see me, and again a little while and you will see me. So Jesus speaks of a short period of time. It's phrased as a little while in this particular English translation. And so he says that on one hand, you will no longer see me for a little while, and then you will see me after a little while. So not unlike the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus here is talking about this short period of time between now and his death, followed by another short period of time between his death and resurrection appearances to his disciples. And of course, as we see in the synoptics, the disciples don't understand. They don't comprehend what Jesus is saying. Their understanding of the Messiah was not of a figure that was supposed to die. That Messiah figure was supposed to reign forever and to rule from the throne of Jerusalem. So they don't understand what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is using this cryptic language of a short period of time to where they won't see him, which clearly indicates his death, and then another short period of time in which they will be reunited, and they will see Jesus then. So he's talking about his death and resurrection. Of course, this has been hinted at many times throughout the Gospel of John, but the closest followers of Jesus, even at this point, even at the final week of Jesus' life in his ministry, still don't quite understand what is going to happen to him. So the second part of the theme of misunderstanding has the conversation partner misunderstanding Jesus either by interpreting him literally or by asking an inappropriate question. And so we can pinpoint this in verses 17 through 18 of John 16. Some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. And because I glowed to the Father. So they were saying, What is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So who is the conversation partner that misunderstands Jesus? Well, we have multiple conversation partners. It says some of his disciples. We don't know how many. We know it's more than one. And it's unlikely to be all of the disciples. So 
a handful of disciples. They're unnamed. And they openly admit that they do not understand. They do not know what Jesus is talking about. And so their question is an inappropriate question. So the third part of the theme of misunderstanding has Jesus or the narrator explain a statement. And in this passage, Jesus is the one that gives the explanation, and he gives it in verses 19 through 22. So this is how Jesus explains his original ambiguous statement. He says, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor and she has pain, because her hour has come, when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. So Jesus offers an explanation, but I kind of get the feeling that he doesn't explain his original statement in the clearest detail. He doesn't come out and say, this little while refers to the time of my death, where you won't see me. I'll be in the grave. And then the next little while will be the period of the time that you'll have to wait to see me. He does mention that the first little while will lead to a period of grieving. And Jesus also says that the second period will turn that grief into joy. Now, clearly, as initiated readers, we know that Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. While Jesus is dead in the grave, the disciples are unable to see him. The world, which is this phrase that refers to those who are opposed to Jesus, those who have not been converted and those who reject Jesus' mission, they will rejoice while the disciples will grieve. About the resurrection, they'll be reunited. The disciples and Jesus will actually see one another. And of course, this explains the comment with the illustration of the woman in labor, the woman who is in mortal danger, but once she has her child, she now has joy. And it's also interesting to note that the original statement made by Jesus says that you will see me, but when Jesus gives the explanation, he says that I will see you again. So the disciples aren't going to have some sort of trance-like experience or some hallucination to where they kind of see Jesus. They're not crazy people. Jesus himself says that he will see them again. They will be physically reunited. The disciples will physically see Jesus, and Jesus will physically see the disciples. Let's move to our third and final point, conclusions and observations from the study of misunderstandings in the Gospel of John. So this is me looking back at the previous 18 episodes 
and drawing conclusions based on what we have seen about this particular theme. So we've had 19 episodes if we include this one. And if we look at all those, we could basically divide the persons who are the ones carrying the misunderstanding into two distinct groups. You might be able to subdivide this in your own study, but I think that this particular division is sufficient for our study. So the first group would be the crowds, the Jews, and the Pharisees. These are people that are not actively disciples of Jesus. They're not following Jesus. They could just be neutral onlookers like the crowds, or they could be people that disagree with Jesus or are antagonistic towards Jesus. So the total misunderstandings held by this particular group, the crowds, the Jews, and the Pharisees, would be 10. They have 10 of the 19. So about 55% of the occurrences, about half. Now the total misunderstandings held by the group that I'm going to call the disciples and interested persons, and these interested persons would include people like Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, the total misunderstandings held by this particular group count up to nine. So about 45% of the occurrences. So you got 19 occurrences. It's pretty much split evenly down the line. 10 for the Jews and nine for the disciples. You really can't get it more evenly divided when you have 19 occurrences. You got 10 on one side and 9 on the other. And this indicates to me that when I look at the followers of Jesus, which seem to basically be misunderstanding Jesus as frequently as those who aren't following Jesus or those who disapprove of him, they are portrayed in the Gospel of John as persons who also need clarification. They also need instruction. They also need to continually work at understanding what Jesus is saying. So when I look at all of this data, I am able to draw a few conclusions. First, I think that it's very important that I not take the side of those people who are in step two of the misunderstanding. Remember, step two involves those who misunderstand Jesus by taking what Jesus says too literally or by asking an inappropriate question. Instead, as an informed reader, understanding the theme of misunderstanding, I need to adopt the position in step number three, the step where Jesus or the narrator explains the particular misunderstanding. And if there's no misunderstanding, then I want to make sure that I'm not following the position of those who are deliberately portrayed in the text as misunderstanding Jesus. So just because people follow what Jesus is saying with a particular misunderstanding, that should not be brought about to modern readers as the intended way to interpret Jesus by the original author. The intended way to understand Jesus is by looking at the explanation where Jesus clarifies the misunderstanding by those who hold it. Furthermore, I am able to draw the conclusion that following Jesus requires 
listening to him with understanding and clarity. I can't just claim to be a Christian. I can't just claim to be a disciple. It's very clear here that the disciples are those who need to listen to what Jesus says and to actually have a clear understanding as to what Jesus means. There's no use in claiming to be a disciple of Jesus if you hold to a position that Jesus would want to correct. And so I think those are some very important practical ways to draw conclusions from this overall study. But the main thing is recognizing that the theme of misunderstanding within the Gospel of John is not a minor theme. It's not a rare theme. It's not an inconsequential theme. It's a very dominant theme that is interwoven throughout the narrative of the Gospel of John, beginning at the inception of his ministry in chapter 2 and working all the way until the final days of his life right before his crucifixion. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please join us next week as we begin looking at a new series. We're going to look at the various names and descriptions of God. And we're going to start next week with the divine name, the divine name Yahweh. In fact, we're going to ask whether Yahweh is even the correct way that the divine name was intended to be pronounced. So please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us and our mission to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for free by subscribing on iTunes and YouTube, by giving us an honest review on iTunes, and by sharing your favorite episodes on social media. If you'd like to offer a donation, you can check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.